Welcome to another episode of the Legacy Podcast. This is number 259, and this episode is going to be a recording of a message I preached from 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. And if you want to get an outline for that passage or get some additional information or resources, make sure you check out thelegacypodcast.com and episode number 259. Thanks for listening. Well, unfortunately, we don't have to look far in the news these days to find stories of mass murders, do we? And I wonder sometimes how more frequently these are or whether the coverage of them on the news media is just more frequent. But in any case, it is a great tragedy when we hear of such things happening. Our hearts are broken and our minds immediately goes to thoughts like how in the world could this happen? We make a big distinction between someone who murders several people, and yet the root of such act is rampant all around us. And we're going to look at some of that today. I want to ask a few questions to begin with. The first one is this. What is the difference between someone killing someone and someone else holding bitterness or unforgiveness towards another? Or what about this question? What is the difference between saying you love somebody and actually loving somebody? Or this one. Is it possible to be assured of our salvation if we hate someone, particularly another Christian? Have you ever been in a church where members of the church are so at war with one another that they don't speak to each other? Should someone expect his prayers to be answered if he's not showing love to another? I hope to answer some of these questions, actually all of these questions and many more, as we look into this passage of Scripture. And this is a passage of Scripture that speaks to some of the themes that we've already looked at. If you recall, in uh, the first letter of John, he, uh, he tends to repeat themes. And as he repeats them, he expands upon them. And this is probably uh, the greatest passage in this letter, speaking about the issue of love. And what we're going to find is four truths about love and the genuine Christian. And the first one is this. We find it in verses 11 through 15. Love starts in the heart. Love starts in the heart. We find at the very close of verse 10 that it says this. Nor is he who does not love his brother. Verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 
This command is nothing new. We find it over and over again in the scriptures. In fact, if anyone were to point out the major theme of our responsibility towards one another as a Christian, it would be to love one another. It's what we have been taught from the very beginning of our Christian walk as our responsibility. It is a fundamental part, fundamental mark of being in Christ. And then in verse 12, it says this, Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. So John here brings in the situation as a negative example of Cain. And if you recall back in Genesis, the early parts of Genesis, Adam and Eve had two children. They had Cain and Abel. And it says that they, as process of time came about, that Cain and Abel went to offer their offerings before God. Abel's offering was accepted before him. Cain's was not. So it says that Cain went out and he slew his brother. He killed his brother. And, of course, we're told here in the scriptures the reason why Cain killed his brother, and that was he was jealous. He was envious that his brother's offering was accepted. Now, uh, if we were to look back in Genesis' account, we would find that uh, the reason why Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's was not was probably because Abel's heart was right before God and Cain's was not. And so we see this issue being taken back to the very beginning, and that is an issue of the heart. If it is true that the love begins in the heart, so too the opposite occurs, and that is murder begins in the heart. It is an issue of the heart. Verses 13 through 15, it says this. And do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Notice uh, the emphasis here that it's, it's not just the murder. It's the actual intentions of the heart. And so we have here the hatred and the anger that is associated with it. Is this not what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, verse 21 through 24? It says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of counsel. That's a, a form of like foolish or something like that, stupid. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that you have something against your brother, leave your gift at the altar. There, first go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Paul speaks about the debasement of the evil heart and the way in which it works in Romans chapter 1. When he says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to debased minds to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil mindedness, they are whispers, backbiters, and so on. He says, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but approve of those who practice them. You see, murder begins in the heart. And murder begins in the heart just as love begins in the heart. So what is needed? A new heart is needed. Love then is an issue of the changed heart. Luke says it this way. Actually, Jesus says it this way, recorded in Luke. Chapter 6, verse 43, it says, For the good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree that is known by its fruit 
For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from bramble bushes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good fruit. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it is the heart that is the, the source from which hatred comes. And it is the heart from which murder comes. And it is also the source from which love comes. And so there is a need for a new heart. There are different levels of sin. But the family is the same. For example, you have a family of sexual immorality, which starts with lust, which is an attitude of the heart or an attitude of the mind, can increase to fornication and could end up with adultery or homosexuality. Similarly, you have the family of envy. Starts with envy, goes to hatred, goes to um, uh, murderous thoughts and violent acts, and finally ends ultimately with the actual act of murder. You see, sin is... Uh, often in the scriptures referred to as missing the mark. In fact, a direct translation from the Greek for uh, sin would be missing the mark. And anytime I think of missing the mark, I think of hunting. <laughs> because just this last week, I missed the mark a couple times. Um, in fact, I think it was uh, either Thursday or Friday, I was out hunting in the evening. And uh, my, my hunting normally consists of walking the dog in the morning with my rifle. And then for like the last hour before sunset, going up into a tree stand or something and waiting. So I don't hunt a lot, but uh, this particular night I was in a tree stand and I uh, saw coming out of the woods probably about 130 yards away, something like that, a uh, a deer. And I thought, well, great. The only problem was that it was to my right side and I shoot right-handed. So I would have had to have shot left-handed. But it was getting dark. I hadn't had a chance to shoot at a deer yet. So guess what I did? I shot at it. And I missed the mark. And I said, well, so much for that. But then I saw it come out of the woods again. So I ran into the woods, came back out, and I said, I'm going to go try to get it. So I come down out of the tree stand, and I walk forward. <clears throat> it's still sitting there eating. And I get probably like 50 yards from it this time. But it was facing me. It wasn't broadside. And so I shot, and guess what? I missed the mark. And I said, well, so much for that. He jumps into the woods. And I said, well, maybe I, maybe I hit it, and it just jumped into the woods. You know, wishful thinking, right? So I looked for blood drops, no blood drops. And would you know that stupid deer came out of the woods again? <laughs> and so I started to raise my, as soon as I raised my gun this last time, though, he went in the woods and never seen him since. So I missed the mark. And, uh, you know, the, the interesting thing about when you shoot is that the further away it is, the, the bigger the miss. So if you're shooting something at 10 yards and you miss the mark, it's only a little bit of miss. But if you're shooting something 150, 200, 500 yards away, it's a bigger mark. It's a bigger miss because it, 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 you're off by quite a bit. It's just the whole way that uh, that works. You know what I'm talking about. Well, the same thing is true when it comes to sin. When we have a lustful thought, when we have an angry thought, when we have a murderous thought, a violent thought towards someone, that kind of thing, it's a, it's a little miss. Still sin. But as that progresses and goes further and further out, it develops and becomes a bigger and bigger miss, a bigger and bigger sin, and eventually results itself in murder. The same thing is true when it comes to love. If it begins in the heart 
And it is a, an expression of kindness towards someone else or something like that, that we have a, a, a loving thought towards someone. Then it begins to progress and, and it goes and extends out. And as we work on that, it develops to where it actually is love in action. And so we need to repent of any anger in our heart and pray that God would fill us with a heart of love. But secondly, and I already have began to mention this, and that is love expresses itself in action. Love expresses itself in action. It may start in the heart, but ultimately it must conclude with action. We see this in verses 16 through 18. It says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, that we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And so we have in the preceding verses, we have a negative example in Cain. But here we have the ultimate example in Christ and how he gave up his life. He sacrificed himself as the ultimate act of love for us. He laid down his life. This is the expression unique to John and speaks of divesting oneself of something. You know, it says in the scriptures that Jesus does not consider itself uh, uh, equal with God, but humbled himself, being willing to take on the form of a servant so that he might become uh, our savior and our mediator. John chapter 15, verse 13 says this, greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for his friends. Romans chapter five, verse 10 says, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You put those two verses together, and not only did Jesus lay down his life for his friends, he laid down his life for us as enemies. That's the kind of love that he has demonstrated for us here. And so in verses 16 and 17, the love is expressed towards sacrifice towards others. The ending part of verse 16, he says, So we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And in verse 17, it says, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? In other words, we have the world's goods. We see a need and we shut up our heart to that need. Love starts in the heart. We must first open our heart to see the need. Once we see the need, then it results in us moving towards meeting that need in an act of love. And then in uh, verse 18, it says this, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Words are cheap, aren't they? It's very easy to say you love something or you love somebody. But it's much harder than to act upon that, to actually do something about what you say. I, uh, I think of the teenage boy that says to the teenage girl, I love you. And then two months later, dumps her for somebody else. Does he really love her? No. His words were cheap. Action is what counts, right? I've heard it said that love is a noun, or love is not a noun, it's a verb. And if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, it describes not feelings of emotion, but rather actions. Love suffers long. Love does not envy, does not boast. Love is kind. The list goes on and on. In every case, it describes an action. 
So the question is, do you love in word only? Or do you love in word and in deed? Do not say that you love God, but do not obey and serve him. Do not say that you love your spouse, but do not what is good for him or her. Do not say that you love your neighbor, but do nothing for him. Such are hypocrites and not genuinely born again. That seems to be what John is indicating here. That love expresses itself in action. And then thirdly, love gives assurance of salvation. Love gives assurance of salvation. We see this in verses 19 through 21. It says, And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. And so how is it that we know and are sure our hearts before him? That is, that if we are showing love towards others, then it shows that we are uh, know the truth and are sure our hearts before him. Verse 20, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. Now, the main point, again, is in verse 19, and that is that um, we are to have assurance of salvation when we demonstrate our attitude of our heart, which is expressed itself in the action of love. The assurance through the heart of love. When your heart is not right, we have doubts. We begin to question whether or not we are genuinely saved, and and rightly we should. But if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence towards God. Now there is in verse 20 a very difficult verse to translate. And um, the first part of it is no problem. It's the second part that gives challenge. And it says, for if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And knows all things. What is meant by God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Well, one option is that some interpreters say that even when we are convicted, God knows that deep down we love him. And so we can have encouragement from that. Option two is that um, the understanding to mean something like if we are who are infallible, not omniscient and still know our sins. Certainly God, who knows the deepest part of our heart, knows our sins as well. And so one one commentator put it this way, if our heart judges us unfavorably, we may be sure that he, knowing more than our heart knows, judges us more unfavorably still. Another commentator put it this way, our hypocrisy is loving by word and tongue, not in deed and truth, does not escape even our own conscience, though weak and knowing but little, how much less God who knows all things. So in one case, it is a, a way of encouraging us that God knows the recesses of our heart. But in the other case, some would say, no, it means that uh, if our heart condemns us, how much more God knowing the depths of our heart would condemn us and uh, cause us to fear. So how are we to understand this? <laughs> it's a difficult verse, no doubt. Perhaps the best way to look at it is the way that this commentator puts it. It says, God is greater than our heart. It is asked whether this means that he is more merciful Or more rigorous, neither one nor the other. It means that although our conscience is not infallible, God is. Our heart may be deceived, he cannot be. He knoweth all things. An awful thought for the impenitent, a blessed encouragement thought for the penitent. He knows our sins, but he also knows our temptations, our struggles, our sorrows, and our love. You know, it kind of reminds me of the situation with Peter. If you remember, 
Peter at the uh, close of uh, Jesus' life uh, claims that he is going to follow Jesus wherever he goes. And then uh, Jesus says, uh, you will deny me three times before the cock crows, Peter. And uh, Peter then follows Jesus into the courtyard and and, uh, he denies Jesus three times. And then after Jesus is risen from the grave and they are on the seashore, Jesus comes and he asks Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter responds three times with these words. And in fact, in John chapter 21, verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You see, there's no escaping it with God. God knows the depths of our heart. If we are convicted of our sin, certainly God knows the depths of our heart. Sometimes our heart can deceive us, though, and uh, we are not sure. But the, the point of verses 19 and 21 is very, very clear. And that is that we can have assurance of our salvation when we demonstrate the fruit of salvation, which is love for the brethren. Love banishes self-condemnation. Regardless of which position one takes, it is clear that the assurance of salvation that we can have as a result of loving our brothers is indeed one of confidence. What kind of confidence can one have in not getting a speeding ticket if they're speeding all the time? Not a lot of confidence, can we? What kind of confidence can one have if he is cheating on his taxes to be able to pass an audit if he's audited by the IRS? Not a lot of confidence. And I think the point that he's making here is that we cannot have a lot of confidence in our salvation if we're not living as though we're saved. And the way in which we demonstrate that we are living as though we're saved is if we're loving those whom as God has called us to love. So do you love others? Do you think that you uh, can have hatred, anger, envy, or murder in your heart for another and still be saved? You must repent of this lack of love and ask God to give you a heart of love so that you can have that kind of confidence Uh, That is truly his. And then verse 22, we find love aids in prayer. Love aids in prayer. Verse 22, it says, and whatever we ask, we receive from him. Verse 21, back up. It says, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. So our confidence then in God, because we love our brothers, the confidence that we have in him allows us then to encounter verse 22, which is, We ask of him, receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. The argument goes like this. A heart of love indicates a right relationship with God. A right relationship then results in nearness to God. A a relationship in nearness to God then results in being able to ask those things that are near to the heart of God. And because we ask those things that are near to the heart of God, he will then answer those prayers. And so it is a natural implication of the outworking of the will of God in our heart. In a practical way, we can also see things working out this way. After all, how often and how sincere are your prayers for others' well-being, for their salvation, when you hold anger, bitterness, or unforgiveness towards them? In fact, I, I dare say that it is almost impossible to pray the will of God for somebody that you don't really like. You ever tried that? 
You ever tried to pray for someone that maybe you have an unforgiving heart towards or you have anger towards or you have hatred towards or something, some kind of evil intention towards in your heart and to pray the best thing for them? It's hard, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's even hard. Of course, I wouldn't know this. I'm just, I'm just thinking that this might be the case. But it's even hard to pray for your wife when you're angry with your wife, isn't it? Well, how much more then is it so... When we have anger towards someone else, to be able to pray what is good for them. And yet God desires for us to pray what is good for them. And so when we have a right relationship with God, when we are loving towards others, when we are behaving as Christians ought to behave, then we have direct communication or a clearer communication. And as a result, we are able to ask those things that God wants us to ask. And he is able to answer those things. Isn't, is this not what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5? Verse 22, when he says, But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, whoever says to him, Fool, these things is in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, first go be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. What's he saying? He's saying you can't rightly relate to me. You can't rightly worship me. And in this context, you can't rightly pray to me if you have aught with your brother. First, go make reconcile to your brother. Then you can rightly pray. And then you can rightly offer your gift before the altar. It also seems to be indicating what he says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, although in the context of marriage. He says, husbands, likewise, dwell with them, that is, with your wives, with understanding, giving honor to your wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. In other words, love your wives. Why? He goes on that your prayers may not be hindered. Men, are your prayers hindered? Maybe it's because you're not loving your wife. The principle then is this. Husbands, if you do not love your wife, you cannot expect your prayers to be answered. It also seems to be what Jesus is making his point in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. He says this Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now we look at verses like that and we say, Oh, well, God certainly will forgive us our trespasses. Yes, he will. When we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when we love others, we have a, 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 an assurance that our prayers will be answered by the will of God. We have a great deal of trouble with our Internet service at our house. I'm grateful that we have high speed. I know some of you guys don't even have high speed and being out here, sometimes it's difficult to even get online. I understand that. And uh, we've gotten so used to having internet service that any time it is a struggle for us when it has some complications. And uh, it has been explained to us. We have Verizon, and it's been explained to us that we are at the very end of our line. You know, the house right next to us doesn't have internet service. So we are the very end of the line for the Verizon communications. And so as a result of that, what happens is that when there's lots of people using that line all the way out to us, it gets clogged up. And so we're trying to use the Internet. And, of course, you might expect with all of our kids and my wife and I, and we, you know, we use the Internet a lot. So we're all on it, and it, it doesn't work because it's all clogged up. And uh, similarly, I had a, a, an issue with our, our, um, our 
commode getting backed up in our, our, our bathroom. And it wasn't like severely backed up, but it would make a gurgle sound every time the washing machine was going. And um, so, you know, I went down to the store and I got some liquid fire. You guys have used that, some of that stuff before, right? Poured it into the thing. No more clog, right? The lines are now clear. And that's the way it is with our relationship with God. That there is sin that clogs it up. When we do not love our brothers, when we show hatred, we show our animosity, we unforgiveness, all these kinds of things in our heart towards our brothers, it clogs up the communication lines. And there needs to be a liquid fire that purges that out. There needs to be repentance to get rid of that so that we might then be able to uh, ask and have God hear and have Him uh, be able to respond accordingly. So then, do you want your prayers to be answered? Keep his commandments, which are in summary to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. If you have any unresolved issue of anger towards another, first be reconciled to them before you attempt to ask God for anything and expect him to answer your prayers. Now, just in case you might think that this outworking of love is something that we do in our own effort, which is very likely if we were to stop with this, John clarifies the truth in verses 23 and 24 by saying the proper perspective. In verse 23 it says this, And this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of the Son of Jesus Christ, or His Son Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us command. Now this uh, speaks of obedience, belief, and love all in the same verse, which seems to be kind of a summary of what he's speaking about all throughout the epistle. If we look at um, over and over again, those three themes come up, belief, obedience and love and then in verse 24 he says this now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us and so he talks about this abiding again this principle of abiding occurs over and over again in the scripture and what we find is we find him saying if you do these certain things If you exercise yourself in love, if you exercise yourself in righteousness, if you are obedient to the laws, it demonstrates that you are of the faith. But then he goes on and he says, but you don't know that you will do these things unless you have the Spirit of God in you. And so that is the critical source and that is the key to all of this. And that is there is no possible way in which we can love our brothers. There's no possible way that we can not have bitterness in our heart, that we can not have unforgiveness in our heart, unless the Spirit of God abides in us. Because it's the Spirit of God that gives us that kind of love. In fact, uh, we, we are told in the Scriptures that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and so forth. It is a fruit of the Spirit in our life that love is demonstrated. Also in 1 Corinthians, we are told that three things remain. And of these three, the three things, it says faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. It is a gifting of the Spirit to be able to love. And when we exercise ourselves in love, it demonstrates that the Spirit of God indeed abides within us. It is the overflow of the Spirit in our life that enables us to love so what is your love life like? I don't t- I mean about your intimacy within your marriage. I'm talking about your actions towards others. So let's summarize. Love starts in the heart. What is in your heart? Is it love? If it is, then thank God that grace is working in you. Thank God that His Spirit abides within you. 
If it is anger, bitterness, or hatred, repent of these things and ask God to give you a heart of love. Secondly, love expresses itself in action. Are you a hypocrite when it comes to your love? Do you say one thing and do another? Let it not be. Let us love in word and in deed. Thirdly, love gives assurance of salvation. Does your conscience convict you about your lack of love? Your conscience is a general grace of God so that you will be moved to repentance. Repent of your lack of love and you will have the assurance of salvation as God's spirit is manifested in you. And finally, love aids in prayer. Do you want your prayers answered? Do you have a wrong heart towards another? You can't have both. Clear the lines of communication with God by loving one another. And then finally, remember that any love that you do have is because of the grace of God working in you. And so you, He deserves all the praise and the glory for it. Let's pray. What would the ones around you see? What happened in the dash between your birth and death? What will you do to change your legacy? One day we'll wither away And to this world we'll have to say goodbye But just like the plant that withers away We will leave many seeds behind If today you lost your life What would you leave behind? What would the ones around you see? What happened in the dash between your birth and death? What will you do to change your legacy? If today you lost your life, what would you leave behind? What would the ones around you see? What happened in the dash between your birth and death? What will you do to change your legacy? What will you do to change your legacy?